Oh man, my clock stopped. Don't quit the day job. <laughs> I can't remember the next line, but I can. If I could turn back time. If I could find a way. Is that the next line? I'd take back all the words that had hurt you. Is that, um, I can't even remember the group. All of a sudden I'm thinking Cindy Lauper time after time. Ooh, now it was Cher. That would be Cher. Oh, okay. That's why I forgot it. And she owned a Mustang. Well, you know. I mean, God does make mistakes. We can't put he that on the, the air. <laughs> we have a lot of listeners in the Bible Belt. We can't put that. <laughs> and we probably have a lot of listeners that own Mustangs. Uh, we don't need those. They're dangerous people. Exactly. I've seen the YouTube videos. Are we recording or not? I've got the recorders on. Oh, okay. You picking that up? You picking up what I'm laying down? Yeah, are you playing your rubber band? Rubber band man, rubber band, 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 rubber band man. Tax day, everybody. Welcome to No Driving Gloves. Um, hopefully you've paid the piper and uh, all that other great stuff. Uh, there's our political commentary for the year. We try to avoid that. Wait, it's tax but day? It will be when the, the day this episode's releasing. Ooh, I, I gotta go. And lucky I already spent my uh, refund and I didn't buy a car this year. Damn unemployment. <laughs> like I said, no driving gloves. You've heard all the voices you're going to tonight. Uh, Will's on his way to Pigeon Forge. Uh, so hopefully you were there and you saw the debut of the Scotty D uh, Blazer SS or SSS or SSUV. The Scotty DTV SSUV. There, there we go. Don't worry, I got Will's. I got Will's back when he's not here. Yeah, somebody's paying attention to Will there. Um, I'm not. Too much to keep track of. Been a busy week for me, looking at a lot of cars, looking at a lot of paperwork, uh, trying to renew my certifications on appraisals and that, so that I make the. <laughs> here we go. Make the IRS happy. So. Within a week or two, I'll be able to do your IRS charitable donations come the end of the year when you're donating your car to your favorite charity or museum, such as the National Corvette Museum or the Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum. We'll be able, to, if your donation's worth more than five grand, uh, please contact me and we'll take care of you. There's my plug. This episode brought to you by Visions and Vehicles. So recently, Derek and I both, uh, well, before I get into a topic, I also noticed I didn't do this last week. Derek, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks? Oh, gee, thanks for asking, finally, John. Um, uh, I know. I, well, we really don't care. That was exciting, Derek. Now to the topic. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, museum work, boring old stuff, you know? Uh, well, that's yeah, why they call it a museum. It's boring and it's old stuff. Exactly. Hey, Corvettes aren't that old. That is literally what I've been doing. Um, I think everybody knows we're getting ready to open a uh, the new exhibit in the museum. We renovated one a complete gallery and uh, actually the first gallery you walk through in the museum. So it's been tying things up a little bit, but our big uh, kickoff event, the NCM bash is coming up in uh, about two weeks and uh, we have to have the exhibit and admissions area done. So 
we're in kind of the final push of that. And I have been staring at a computer screen, reading exhibit labels, proofing them and making sure the story that we're trying to tell in the exhibit makes sense. And it seems to actually maybe make sense. So I, I think it should be okay. No, that sounds like the exciting world of museums. I remember that as you you and I discussed right before the show in certain museums, certain quote museums, we call those show cards. You know, little things that explain. I like the term museum labels. That's probably why it's the accepted term in most museums. We're going to jump in. Derek and I both um, kind of independently, unbeknownst to each other, visited our local communities auto show. And of course, we don't live in Los Angeles, New York, Geneva, Chicago, name the place, Detroit, Detroit. where we've got real auto shows with prototypes and exciting news-breaking stories. We get to see what the local dealers have or will have in the next couple of weeks. Every now and then, I think one or two little prototypes slip in, but it's a nice way to get out there and see what's available, see what's happening. And it's a nice way, you know, for me to get my butt in the seats of a lot of things that I want to try without having to deal with the sales people. Um, Obviously, I'm talking about the um, Birmingham Auto Show, and unfortunately, Birmingham, Alabama, not Birmingham, England. And Derek, what, which one did you visit? Is it at Bowling Green or is it a, a different city and no, no, no. It's uh, Louisville is uh, one of the close ones here. There's one in Louisville, and uh, there is one in Nashville. I'm, I'm not sure when the Nashville one is, but I was recently at the, the Louisville Auto Show um, maybe about a month or so ago. Uh, really, time is escaping me right now. But yeah, about let's let's call it a month, month and a half. Now, I was uh, about a week ago. I'll, I'll be honest, and as somebody will criticize anything and nitpick, and if you do something wrong, I'll be the first person to, you know, I actually, I, I like driving the bus, as they say. Uh, but when you do something right, I'll also stop the bus and pick you up and be nice to you and give you a ride. And I had intended to go to the auto show, and I thought it was a nice little perk this year because the uh, Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama was all this, also this weekend. Uh, you know, it takes place at my former employer, Barber Vintage Motorsports Museum, Barber Motorsports Park. And if you had a ticket to the Barber event, the IndyCar event, uh, any of the three days, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday, you could take that ticket and also present it at the auto show here and get in for free. So since I spent $19.05, service fees and tax included, for my Friday ticket to the Honda Indy Grand Prix on the, on the Friday just to see the Hagerty people and talk to some of my old co-workers and see what was going on and shoot, shoot the chat with uh, everybody that's out there uh, car-wise, I you know was able to get into the uh, uh, show the next day for free. Which, again, all of a sudden it takes my what would have been a $28 investment or $27 investment, makes it $13.50 or makes it 9 bucks or something per event. So I was really happy, and like I said, I thought that was a nice little perk we had down here. Um, and I didn't think the show was overall that bad. It definitely wasn't as bad as it was five or six years ago the last time I went. What, did you, what was your overall impression, Derek, with the one in Louisville? Well, 
I, I, I guess I might be a little spoiled because I did spend so many years uh, in Detroit and going to the Detroit Auto Show, the, well, North American International Auto Show uh, in Detroit, Cobo Center. And uh, I have a tough time with the smaller, you know, local auto shows. Yeah, it's nice if you're looking for a new car. Uh, as you said, John, go out and see, go out and see what's on the lot or going to be on the lot soon at the local dealers uh, and not be hassled by the salesman, you know, the, the new car salesman at the dealerships, things like that. But I don't know. It's just, it, it's not the same excitement uh, flair that goes into the big auto shows. And I spend an hour or two at the show and I'm pretty much done because there's only a few vehicles I want to look at. I look at them and there's not a lot else to do after that. Yeah, that's about what I spent. I think I had about two hours into the show here and, you know, we've seen seen everything. You know, we're car people, so we stay in touch with the car news and especially with my uh, new venture. I, that's what I spend the first hour every day doing and it kind of reminds me of high school reading instead of reading every you know every page of car and driver road and track motor trend it's spending all the time looking at msn autos looking at road and track online car and driver online all the new stuff that's coming out auto week auto blog you know you you name it i've got you know the alexa set up and she talks to me in the shower and then what's on the computer so i take in you know hour to two hours of car news every day and this just put it all in three dimensions for me I'll say it checked my age. It was kind of funny. The Hyundai had this cute little uh, game show-like thing where they were giving away headphones and pens and, you know, the little keychain trinkets things that, you know, you can buy, you know, three cents a piece when you buy them by the 10,000 in those promo magazines. But they were, you know, asking questions and you kind of felt old when we, we were walking by and one of the questions was, and may, well, I'll let you. I'll ask you the question, Derek, because I I knew the answer much better than anybody in the crowd, um, much better than the um, spokesperson, spokesmodel that was asking the question. Uh, what year did Hyundai Motors sell their first vehicle in the United States? I don't. I don't know. Ah, I feel that. pretty good. Nineteen eighty six. Then as I went on to tell Zara, I go. It was a Hyundai XL. It was available in four and two doors. It was kind of ugly. I kind of wanted one because I've always liked the little hatchbacks. And it was sixty nine ninety five. <laughs> and nobody in the crowd got that answer. <laughs> they couldn't figure it out. No. I think uh, 91 was as close as the guess was. And I'm going, damn, I'm old. And I could also go on to tell you that uh, Hyundai began selling those cars in 1986 with very limited dealer support and zero service centers. All the Hyundai service was all performed by independent service stations. Those would be gas stations with service garages. And uh, back back in 94, 95, I worked, the gentleman that managed the Shell station with the service center that I worked at, my, one of my first automotive, full-time automotive-related jobs, he used to work at the Exxon up the street that had the Hyundai contract before the Hyundai dealership was built with their service centers. So see, it brings back the age and all that little trivia. Now you're all set. Everybody's all set when Hyundai comes and asks that question at uh, your auto show, and 
you can win your non-Bose headphones. You know, we got to go walk around and see a lot of things that were interesting. Uh, you know, Zara hopped in a Fiat 124 Spider and goes, yeah, she pretty much liked that. After she's continually told me how much she dislikes Miatas. Makes no sense to me. And then come to think of it, we didn't spend much time. I couldn't even tell you if we walked by the Mazda booth to see if there was a Miata on display. <laughs> but, you know, that's the the way it goes. Some of these things you look and you pay attention and some things you don't. The Fiat one was the first display that kind of made the hair on the back of my neck stand up. And not that it was Fiat. They had a 500C. The uh, 500C Turbo, which is kind of the base 500C now, with the nostalgic wheels, and a Fiat 124 and a Fiat 124 Abarth. Nothing else. I thought Fiat made a, an L. Maybe they don't make the L anymore. And I thought they made an X. Um, maybe they don't make the SUVs anymore. I don't know. There was nobody there to talk to me about the cars. There were no brochures. And there were no cars. If you want to sell me a car or you want to show me your lineup, show me your lineup. Have your little SUVs there. Many two doors down from you guys had a Countryman, a, a, pace, uh, a, countryman, um, a Clubman, and a Convertible. So you pretty much got the feel of a, a four-door, a, a two-door, and uh, their SUV. Uh, you know, everybody had a pretty decent lineup, but there were some definite emissions. And it gets me to one of my tirades. These manufacturers complain that, oh, these cars don't sell. Not everybody spends two hours every morning reading car news like I do. Or I assume Derek spends a little bit of time reading car news every day. You've got to tell the people what you've got. And when they're going to a show that they expect to see everything on the market, if it's not there, it's not there to them. And they're not going to stop by your Fiat dealership or when we get down to Subaru, the Subaru dealership, and look at what you're talking about. What's your... Uh, what stands out a little bit to you, Derek, about your Louisville show and either flaws or compliments? I'm sorry. What I was reading some automotive news. <laughs> what? No. No, I, 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 I agree with you, John. You know, there were some of the car companies that didn't have a lot of vehicles on display. Disappointing. I mean, there were some that just don't flat show up to the Louisville auto show, which I mean, I'm sure happens at a lot of the small auto shows. And it's obviously a budget decision because some of your local dealers don't want to spend the amount of money it takes to go to one of those shows and take all the cars and, and not get purchases out of it, get you know people to actually buy cars. But I will say, and you just mentioned Subaru, uh, my my wife drives a Subaru Forester and, and we're thinking about an actual, an upgrade to a newer one. And Subaru did an outstanding job at our, uh, at the Louisville Auto Show. They had the, you know, the local dealer brought out, I think pretty much every model that it, they offer. I mean, they had the Outback, the Crosstrek, the Forester, the oh geez what else was there uh the legacy uh, i don't remember everything there were at least six cars there if not more uh but of course we were very focused on the forester actually had a representative there very knowledgeable talking very engaging i mean we and we my my wife is a, a car person and she likes researching cars and doing her due diligence when she's thinking about getting something new and 
for everybody that, you know, anybody that reads automotive news, you will know that Subaru has pretty much gotten rid of the uh, manual transmission in most of their lineup. Uh, there's only, I think, two models now that offer it. And the Forester is one that ha it has been cut from. 2018 was the last manual transmission Subaru Forester. Uh, so she asked a lot of questions about that because she will only drive a stick shift. And they, the, the gentleman we were talking to had all the answers and, you know, basically it came down to, okay, we gotta, we've got to get out there, get online and find a un, either lightly used or unsold 2018 Forester with a stick shift so we can acquire it and, and get the newer Forester that she wants. So, you know, I think in, in some ways they did, you know, Subaru here did a stellar job, but there were other car companies, you know, Fiat, the Chrysler, Fiat Chrysler of America. Uh, they had one of the, uh, the one, what is it? 124. Yeah. Is that right, John? The little, you just mentioned the it, and the I've already spider, lost yeah. the numbers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they had one of those there. People were in and out of that thing constantly, but no one came over to talk to anyone. You know, we were, I wasn't far from that booth where the museum was set up in the motorsports park, and I watched people getting in and out of that thing all day, and I didn't see any Fiat Chrysler representative go over and talk to them. You know, it's also a, an interesting I think part of those local shows where, and it may be that they're not staffed well again, again, you know, budgetary reasons for dealerships and, and the local who gets sent in to represent the companies. You know, if you're at one of the big auto shows, it's likely that if you touch a door handle to open the door, somebody's talking to you uh, because they want to make, you know, they want to get you to go to a dealership and buy a, a vehicle. You know, it's it's kind of hit and miss at the shows, like you say. You know, I, I think I climbed in and out of uh, every Ford truck that was at the show, and nobody from Ford talked to me, uh, which actually I should, I'm, I'm not complaining about that because I actually like that. It gives me a chance to look at the car, look at the truck, whatever I'm looking at, really inspect it without somebody – trying to give me a sales pitch while I'm trying to look at what I want to look at. And they're trying to redirect my focus. Uh, that pun intended there. Cause we were talking about Ford and I mentioned focus, you know, at the Chevy dealer, you know, I started looking at some of the trucks and, and somebody did come up and ask if I had any questions. And I said, no, not really. I'm just taking a look. And they were very polite. Uh, you know, it was kind of across the board, whether you had good interaction or not. Yeah. I decided while you were talking there, um, I did go to Fiat's website. And they do offer the 124 Spider and the Abarth and the 500C, as I call it. I guess they've dropped the C, according to here. But they also do have the X and the L. So those are current models, but got to bring them if you want to sell them. My complaint on the Subaru is they brought a decent selection, um, but I know the dealer they brought them from. We have two Subaru dealers in Birmingham. One's new. It's, it's a Hendrick dealership, and it's a pretty good dealership and uh i've got good feedback on it and we've taken our subaru amazing uh, Derek's wife has a subaru my fiance has a, a subaru she has the brz which would be one of the manual transmissions but it's not all-wheel drive so i'm sure it doesn't fit Derek's Derek's family's need exactly what annoyed us is you went to uh the subaru booth and they had good selection they had about six cars on on display i want to say 
maybe seven. You know, they had an Imprezio, Legacy, the I think the Crosstrek, the Forster. Uh, they had a, a WRX, but they did not have a BRZ. They did not have any STI models. So they weren't going after, you know, they weren't showing the, the cream of the crop or the candy or, or, you know, the eye candy that'll draw you over. And, oh, let's look at, the, you know, they were just showing the entry-level models, which the dealer that supplied all the cars, excuse me, they rarely stock a BRZ. So maybe Hendrick should have stepped up or Subaru should have stepped up because if I was at the auto show looking for a little sport coupe, why would I think of going to Subaru now? Because immediately, or right next to Subaru, was Toyota. And they had a GT86. And it was right next to the Subaru thing. So, ooh, there's my little sport coupe. I'll go over. And you know what? Nobody from Toyota told me that Subaru sells the same car with a <laughs> as a BRZ. I've read some reports that the BRZ might, you know, it, it was on, on the fence of getting cut because they don't sell them. It goes back to if you don't tell them you have it, they're not going to buy it. And I can't remember the name of the car. Maybe you can help me, Derek. It was a Scion. It looked like a smart car. Um, the IQ, was it maybe, or something like that? Mm, yeah, yeah, there was something. And a, a couple weird. of years ago, I was when I actually bought my uh, 2012 Fiat 500C that turned out to be a nightmare. Um, I kind of thought about going and looking at an IQ. Not a single Toyota Scion dealership in the area had one. They'd be glad to order me one. If we all remember a couple of weeks ago, Tesla announced that they were going to uh, close all their brick-and-mortar dealers. And you could order a car, and if you got it delivered, you had a week to return it if you didn't like it, uh, with some stipulations. And everybody said, no, this is America. We want to drive a car. Nobody's going to spend any money. And that's exactly it. Why am I going to order this little unique car if I can't drive it or at least see it? You have to stock at least one of something for it to sell. Um, so that, you know, that was kind of one of my little complaints is, you know, Subaru wasn't showing a BRZ. Um, really, I complimented many, but they weren't showing any, you know, they didn't have a whole model lineup. I'm going to knock Hyundai for it, but I'll be 100% honest. I don't know if they're on the lot yet. They had no N-spec cars, which is their, you know, top of the line, whatever you want to call it, like Type R Honda or Audi S or what is it, you know, S-Class or things like that. It's just, um, you've got uh, you've got to bring it for them to, to come. And then what Derek was saying, it, it's nice to be able to look at some of these cars without the salesman hounding you. But when I'm talking to the spokes model uh, at um, Mercedes about the Metris van, and I've learned a lot about the Metris van lately, uh, a lot more than I knew before I, when I was purchasing a van, I think my next van, instead of being a Transit, might be a Metris, mainly because I can put a 4x8 sheet piece of plywood in the back of it and shut all the doors. She knew they had the longest wheelbase there, but she didn't know the various wheelbases or anything. And she admitted that she goes, no, I'm just from the marketing department. Uh, she goes, I don't know anything about the vehicles. So you're from the marketing department and you don't know anything about the vehicles. And they only had two people there. Maybe there should be one or two product specialists. Um, you know, Mercedes in this town, there used to be two dealerships. Now there's one. 
they're pretty large dealerships, uh, still two locations and everything. And uh, Mercedes had, you know, the Metris van and they had a 15 passenger um, full size van there. And Ford had a Transit Connect and a full size Transit um, all window cargo type van. But again, we'll go back to Fiat Chrysler of America. No ProMasters, you know, if I'm a commercial customer, I mean, even General Motors, who is like 20 years behind, 30 years behind in the van race, had a van there. Uh, you couldn't get in it, but at least you knew they sold a van. It just, you know, it doesn't make sense. Props to Fiat Chrysler of America. They did bring in a prototype. Uh, I forgot what they're called. What's the new pickup called, Derek? Oh, the, are you talking about the... The Jeep Gladiator? They did have the mm -hmm. Gladiator, and it was kind of cool to see, but the um, pretty much the consensus of a lot of the people I saw talking about it is how big it was. Oh, this is so big, blah, blah, blah. And really, it's a you know a Jeep with a six, six feet added to the back of it. And I thought maybe they should have parked a Ram 1500 closer to it. I mean, it was par the Gladiator was parked with the other Jeeps, and then on the other side of a wall were two Ram 3500 Dooleys. So it was smaller than the Ram 3500 mm -hmm. Dooleys, but let's compare it to a Ram 1500. It's it's still a small truck. And I, I had the opportunity to hop in a Ranger, and it's really the first time I got to spend a little bit of time in a Ranger. But my initial impressions of the Ranger were correct. If I'm spending that much money, it's a tiny truck. Um, I'm going to buy a full-size F-150 before I buy, would consider buying a Ranger. A couple thousand dollars more and all the extra I get out of the F-150. If I'm going to buy a, sm a smaller truck, there needs to be a bigger price difference. I mean, if it was seven or $8,000 cheaper than an F-150, I might consider it. But when it's three or four grand, no. Nah. So the auto show gave me, you know, that opportunity to kind of cross shop. And maybe I picked out my next van. Don't have a clue what my next car would be. I really like the uh, Lincoln Continental, but that one's probably going to go away here in the near future. And I saw the new iteration of the, if we remember the Fisker Karma, I guess whoever owns the company this week is now selling the Karma something. Uh, it's the Fisker. They've just dropped the Fisker name from it and they call it the Karma whatever. And they had one of those on display, which really caught me off guard being in Birmingham, and I'm not even sure who the dealer was. And and this is getting a little more off topic than just auto show, uh, new car uh, auto shows. Uh, you know, you were talking about getting in the Ranger and getting in the F-150s. I did the same thing. I got in the, the Colorado and the Canyon and the Silverado and the yeah, I think everybody knows I'm a truck guy. I grew up in Michigan on a farm. I grew up around trucks. That's just kind of what has been pumped in my blood is is driving trucks, pickup. And I'm really disappointed in American the American auto industry and the American of the automobile when I cannot get a pickup truck, be it a small, you know, an S-Series, Ranger, Colorado, Canyon, or a, a you know, full-size F-150, something like that, there wasn't a single stick shift. And I just, I just get more and more disappointed every year that there are not 
stick shifts anymore. Uh, and we've talked about it on the show before, I know, but it just, when you're talking about that, John, it just came up in my head again. Everyone, I knew when I was a kid, danger, guys that, you know, my dad knew were shops and things like that. They, most of them, I mean, for Ranger, we've had this discussion on the before, has a huge fall. And it was very heartbreaking when Ford got rid of it and they're bringing it back now. But every single one of those guys I knew had a Ford Ranger with a stick shift. It wasn't an automatic, it was a stick shift. And I just, I don't know, I'm just, just disappointed that we're getting to the point where we don't have, and like the Subaru. Now Subaru is going to for stick shifts in the American market because he wants them, or at least not a large enough number in higher wants them. Sorry, I had to go off on that little little tangent there. We might need you to do that again because you were very, very choppy. Your internet's, or my internet's, uh, one of them's getting choppy. I was killing video feeds. Oh, well, that sucks. So, let's see. If I kill my camera... All right. Yeah. Now, Does that now help? All any? of a sudden, now that you stopped ranting about manual transmissions, it it went and did it again, or it went smooth. Oh well, of course, it's probably the the you know the man probably listening in. He doesn't want me to. They don't want me to talk about I it. I think we got the gist. I'm gonna kind of leave it and hope I can edit edit my way through it, or unless Look, you want I'm, to do it again. In the end, I'm I am disappointed that the stick shift is going the way of the dodo bird, okay? It's not right. Ford Rangers should have stick shifts. Pickup trucks should have stick shift, manual transmissions in them. There were courses. No, 10-speed automatics, anyway. that's where it's at. <laughs> you know, I drive, and, and this is not anything against any specific automobile manufacturer. I've driven a lot of new trucks, both Ford and Chevy and GMC. And, you know, I haven't driven a lot of new Dodges because I think everybody knows how some of us on the show feel about Fiat Chrysler right now. You get in a gas truck anymore and they've got these automatic transmissions in them and you're pulling a trailer and the thing's wrapped up to 6,000 RPM trying to pull the trailer because there's no torque in the engine. You have to go to the diesel to be able to pull. Tra- and I mean, it used to be that, I mean, even in my 2010 Ford, I mean, I can pull a trailer with that thing and the thing's not revving up to 6,000 RPM to try to pull it up a small hill because they, although it's an automatic, they still had it geared better. And I just, I don't know. And, and we've talked about it on the trucks episodes where, you know, the truck has become a family vehicle, but I just don't know why we've got to get away from the workhorse side of it too, because I'll tell you one thing. I mean, it's not like gas mileage is improving that much in a pickup truck. Uh, even when they put these new engines and different gear ratios and things in them, you're still not getting great gas mileage. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just going off on tangents well, now. They're so. easier to build. They're uh, cheaper to build. They're not necessarily cheaper to buy. Uh, if it makes you feel bad, the last Dodge Ram I had, my 2008 Dodge Ram, was a, a six-speed manual transmission 
fifteen hundred with uh I can't remember what V eight it had in it to be honest, the four point something. And what was really funny, we walked out to the truck with the on the car lot and the salesman looked at it and goes, Oh, it's manual. I said, Yeah. He goes, Can you drive manual? I said, Yeah. He goes, Well, you're gonna have to pull it out because I can't drive manual. <laughs> Even the salespeople can't drive manuals anymore. I mean it's a little sickening and I, I kind of liked having the manual truck, but there were also times, again, I missed having the automatic, especially pulling trailers and that. Um, uh, I sometimes don't like to have to worry about the clutch and things while I'm on a hill with a, you know, 10,000 pound trailer behind me and such. But to eat, you know, kind of to each his own. But you're right. There are, I, I, I don't think there's a manual available in any of the trucks anymore. Uh, I think possibly when you get up to into the like 3500 series, I'd have to look into it. No. But um, yeah, I think when you get into some of the heavy duties, you can start no. getting it again. But it's no, special I think order. You have to, I think you even have to get up to uh, like an F450 or 550 or that'd be a 4500 or a 5500 with General Motors. Yeah. Um, and I don't don't even know if Chrysler offers it, but I can't say I'm really looking at that heavy duty of a truck ever. <clears throat> it's just, that's, you know, I can't even remember, I can't remember the article. It keeps floating around Facebook of how many cars are left with manual transmissions. And unfortunately, Not I think that is uh, a goner in the automotive age. You know, we've, we've kind of hammered a little bit about the goods and bads of, you know, the auto show. Wait, wait, wait. Something else popped into my head. I'm going to go back to your talk about the BRZ. Okay. Because I was thinking something, and I didn't, I didn't say it because you kept talking about other things um, as you progressed your way past Subaru, and you were you were talking about the fact that they didn't they didn't have a BRZ at the show, but did you say there was an FRS? Well, they the FRS is called the GT86 now, but yes, there was. Okay, yeah, the GT86. Yeah, yeah, I forgot that. Yeah, we are we are as we are a show about the collector car community and hobby. Is it still true? Because I remember when they first kind of introduced the uh, the the partnership there and the whole building the cars and how they were going to do it. If I recall the correct numbers correctly, was it one BRZ for every nine of the FRSs? I know the number skewed to Toyota. But I don't think it was that lopsided. Um, Toyota, I think I thought it was a three or a four to one advantage. Okay, maybe maybe that's what it was. But it, it's interesting because what I was thinking as you were saying that was, does the fact that they did not have the BRZ there, they're not really out there pumping it, whereas the FRS slash GT86, whatever it is now, is that, you know, is that all part of a scheme or is that all just, you know, something that's adding up to <clears throat> the BRZ becoming more collectible in the future because there's fewer of them, they're selling fewer of them, uh, all of that. Is that going to turn that into a more sought after collector car in the future? I'm going to say no. And I don't know if those numbers skew that way anymore because, you know, once you own one, you see all of them on the road. Since we have a BRZ, you see all the BRZs and FRSs and GT86s that are out there. If I go by a local Toyota dealership, there might be one or two 86s on the lot. 
And if I drive a half a mile down the road to the Hendrick Subaru dealership, they probably have 10 BRZs on the lot at any time. So they're skewing heavily that way. You go to Jim Burke, who was the Subaru supplier for the auto show, they never have a uh, a BRZ on their lot. Can't really tell you there. And I really, I only know of really one or two Toyota dealerships in town, and I don't go to the other one ever. Uh, so our local stock skews heavily BRZ. And watching cars on the road, it seems to be almost a 50-50 split. So I don't think there's going to be a collectability on, issue on that. And we own a BRZ. My former boss's child has a BRZ. Let's just say somebody else that I know from my previous employment has a BRZ. I don't know anybody who has an 86. Sean Yoder, who's guested on the show twice, he used to have an FRS, had a 13 FRS for a couple of months when they first came out. So he's he's the only FRS guy I know. Everybody else has got BRZs. So no, I I don't think those numbers skew that way. I just think it's how many you can sell. Um, it does pose the you know it's an, a neat little joint venture that Toyota and Subaru have, and of course I'm going to skew even farther off topic from the auto shows. The uh, Toyota Supra with its shared BMW components, and one of the the Yaris or something share stuff with General Motors. There's a, there's an article going around on the FRS um, BRZ forums about a recall um, on the 13 cars due to some valve lash valve time. I'm not too sure what it is because it doesn't affect our car. Go in and you repair the car. You go in and you do the warranty repair. There's been a lot of engine failures that may or may not be because of that repair. And the failure rate is almost 10 Toyotas to every one BRZ. And one of the theories behind that is the motor in the FRS BRZ is a, a Subaru motor. So the Subaru mechanics are familiar with the Boxster motor uh, and how to disassemble it and reassemble it. And the belief is they're putting, they're using a silicone gasket on the front seal and it has to be done precisely. And the Subaru recall papers has a huge warning about not using too much, using the precise amount and proper placement where the Toyota doesn't. And that the Toyota mechanics might now, if you're a Toyota mechanic and you work in a Toyota dealership, you have to know Subaru technology. You have to know Toyota technology. You have to know Chevrolet technology. And soon you have to know BMW engine technology. And that's asking a lot for a, a line mechanic and a service guy at a dealership where if you work for Ford, you just have to know the EcoBoost system and the Coyote V8. And th that's it. Everything's all Ford. You know, you don't have to know Mercedes. You don't have to know. And, you know, it. it's even when Dodge or Ram was selling the Mercedes Sprinter vans, you kind of had to know Mercedes and Chrysler technology. And if you remember during that period of time that Chrysler was owned by Mercedes, they share, the, you know, a lot of the technology in the Chrysler product was Mercedes, and then it was Chrysler. So those guys had to know two different things. Maybe that was the problem with their service at the time. And now Chrysler's, to me, they've had the mo their motors long enough that 
that makes sense. And the fiat stuff's new, but the fiat stuff is the fiat stuff, and it to me, it's all the fa- same family. So that's kind of saying, you know, I'm sorry, technicians, especially Toyota technicians, you have you're expected to know a lot for a car car brand that's supposed to be the literally the most reliable in the world. I think I can say that. I know GM got in trouble with their uh, most dependable car in the world ad campaign recently. Did I stray too far off the topic there? Do we need to jump ship? That's what we're here for. We're straight off topic, straight off topic about cars. So as long as it's about cars, I think we're good. I'm going to look at the timer and say we're 45 minutes-ish, and you're still breaking up bad. So do we push the Internet technology here and go until the Internet throws you off, or do we want to kind of wrap abruptly wrap it up here and get some listener feedback on... We're going to ask the listeners this week, give us some feedback on what you think of the local auto shows. Do you think there are too many local auto shows? I mean, should we should there be one in like the one major city in your state, or should every little city have one? I know when I was in Illinois, St. Louis would have one, Peoria would have one, the Quad Cities would have one, Rockford would have one, and Chicago has a ma- you know a major international auto show, and you know and so on like that. Birmingham has one, Montgomery has one, in Alabama. Uh, should it just be one city and maybe the manufacturers focus a little bit more on that than all these little dealer extravaganzas? Did you have any further tirades or anything to go, Derek, or do we want to call it a night? No, but I, I do. You, you know, you didn't mention if anybody had any questions or any comments about fiberglass. Did we get any any feedback? I did not see anything, really. Uh, well, we got a lot of response to the episode. I'll be honest, that was one of our best, most listened to episodes with Jeffrey. Uh, but not a lot of questions appeared there. And then Jeffrey uh, has released um, uh, the beginning of the series of articles on his Cord project. Uh, which we've shared on uh, our Facebook page. So be sure to check that out. Um, that's going to be a fascinating project to follow along with, you know, just the coffin nose cord and, you know, this being a custom one and seems to have a little bit of history to it. But no, a forgotten fiberglass. Uh, they're quiet people, I guess, about it. Um, but like I said, a lot of people listen to the episode. So I plan on... Uh, Working to have Jeff back, we'll figure out some things to discuss with him. So, uh, listeners, give us some feedback. Let us know what you want to hear, what you want us to talk about, what you want us to converse. We're working on a couple other episodes that we think you might want to know. Collector car insurance, appraisal information, uh, maybe some restoration techniques, things like that. I mean, we're here to answer your questions and not just talk. I stopped listening. Yeah, I'm and afraid what? the listeners did too. So. <laughs> I'm going to say that's it for me tonight. I'll talk to everyone next week. See you later.